Uh, we are in a series called Adulting. Everybody say adulting. It's a word that is popular today. Uh, it's not really even a word, uh, but we use it, and it's the idea of growing up, and it seems like uh, the, the more our world just gets away from responsibility and stuff like that, we come up with words like adulting. We make careers of school and moving back in with our parents at 30 uh, with our Star Wars sheets and asking mom to make us a toasted cheese sandwich. You know, so not that anything is wrong with that because we don't say that to people that that's wrong anymore. I'm kidding. That's wrong. Move out. Get rid of your Star Wars sheets. They should be Superman sheets anyways. Uh, but uh, maybe you woke up this morning. As a father, raise your hand if you're a dad. Dads, what's up, dads? Uh, I am a, a biological father for two months and three days. Uh, so uh, I have a stepson, so I've been a dad and also just in youth ministry. Trust me, there's been a lot of dad stuff for 18 years. But uh, little Cade Levi's two months old a couple days ago, uh, and he's just sitting on the front row chilling, probably sweating up a storm. Uh, but dads, maybe you woke up this morning. What if you w did wake up and you woke up to something like this? <laughs> what would be your reaction? I love you, dad. Look, I even put it on your car. <laughs> you would have a struggle in that moment. Do I love my daughter more than my car? Uh, you know, so our kids, they do stuff and don't realize sometimes uh, but being a dad is often can be just a grin and bear it type moment because guess what even though you had a dad nobody feels equipped for fatherhood nobody feels equipped for leadership sometimes you just end up in that position whether you like it or not for some of you stepdads in the room, sometimes that's a, quite a weird a predicament that you got into where do I treat them as my child because they don't act like I'm their dad? In fact, what is the number one statement that is said from stepchildren? You're not my father. Like that gives you a right to be a disobedient to the Lord. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I love my son Parker. We've always had a relationship and whenever we struggled and, and I, I say, I know I'm not your father, but would you like for me not to treat you like my son? And he would go. Nah, I'm, I'm liking this son thing. <laughs> so I'm like, well, we need to work on the, the dad thing. So fatherhood is especially really weird when you look at sitcoms because the dad's always the idiot. You know, so like, guys, we don't have much to live up to as long as you just stand there and go, yep. <laughs> you know, here, here's the money. You know, just... The, I think the Bible has a lot to say differently. In fact, with this idea of adulting, our theme verse has been this throughout the, uh, the weeks. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, the reason that this is a hard verse practically is because a lot of us think things like, Man, if I could go back to when I was in high school or middle school or back when I was a kid. You know, there is something very attractive about living as a child. What is it? I don't have to be responsible for anything. 
And there's something attractive about that. But what ends up happening is if you never have responsibility, if you never step into adulting, then you never fulfill the call of God on your life. Here's what I've been saying for years. If you are old enough to follow Jesus in salvation and His Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it's time to adult. You should be adulting in some aspect, in some manner, especially spiritually. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But let me recap what we've talked about and talk about the six building blocks that we've, we've talked about in the past six weeks as far as adulting. Week one, we talked about character and what that looks like to grow up. Quit being a child in your character. You should have some, the character of Christ in your life. Then priorities, we talked about how to organize your life. And you need to put the big rocks in first before you put all the little things in. And Because priority is often why people don't show up at church on Father's Day. Uh, or people don't, don't uh, really open up their Bible and read it. Or we get afraid in our parenting and we don't raise our children under the, the guidance of the Word of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about work and rest, how a lot of us, we work really hard to rest. And some of us, all we do is work really hard. And we, we talked about the balance that God has called us to do in our life. Last week, we talked about generosity and just living that generous life and being a generous person. And this week, we're talking about leadership. Before we read this passage, I want to talk to you the difference between a leader and leadership. There are many leaders in this room. You may be a leader just by default. You may be the mom or the dad in the home that makes you the leaders in the home. The children doesn't look at your children. I hope they don't look at you and say this. Some of them might be cocky enough to do it, but look at you and say, I'm in charge. Your children don't say that. It, they might say it once, and then you're like, you just lost your teeth. You know, uh, but... What ends up happening, we might be in a, lead, a leading position by default, but that's not leadership. Leadership comes to this place where we serve, where we decide that we're going to, to step in that place and give of our life. 1 Corinthians 4, I want to read just a, a little bit different passage than maybe what you would normally see or hear in a Father's Day sermon. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter. 4 verse 14 it says Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's, this is a strong letter by the way he's had to say some pretty strong stuff and this doesn't cut short of that but he addresses just a fatherless generation a spiritually fatherless generation he says I'm not writing this to shame you but to warn you as my dear children do you think by the way look up here do you think that's where we got that this is not this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you statement that <laughs> sounds like what Paul just said verse 13 even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel he says therefore I urge you to imitate me that's some strong words Paul for this very reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I'm, I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of the way of Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Verse 18, this is where he speaks strongly. He says, some of you become arrogant. You're in a position as leader. 
as I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only what these arrogant people are talking about, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And then, (laughs) which do you prefer? Shall I come with you with a whip? Or in love and a gentle spirit? So Paul, Paul comes out on the scene and he's saying, Hey, it's Father's Day. But you don't know much about that. You don't know about spiritual leadership because you have many, many, many people that have come alongside you in Christ. But you haven't had many fathers. you got guardians. you got people that are sort of in charge. But you, have you had somebody father you spiritually? Have you had somebody come into your life and provide that leadership spiritually that which, which is so, so uh, hard to find today? Let me ask you this. Could you on one hand name five people that you know are passionate inwardly and outwardly about Christ? They love His Word. They love to worship Him. They're evangelistic. They have a job, but their job is all about loving Christ, being evangelistic, trying to reach people for Christ. They raise their family in the the leading of the word that this trumps every feeling and every circumstance in their life. I'm not saying, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm saying, do you know someone who's been impacted by him so much that they are leading They are showing those leadership traits on such an epic level that you look at them and go, wow. I bet you couldn't name five. And if you could name five, I don't know why we say wow, because that's exactly what everyone in this room should look like. We should have these characteristics, these traits that actually show that we love and follow Jesus. By your fruit... By their fruit, you will know them. You will know them for their love for one another. Jesus is constantly saying, hey, people should see that you follow me. It should be evident. Now, often it's evident that we're moral. But Jesus never wanted that. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you moral. He died on the cross to change your life. And give you and make you a new, everybody say new. Make you a new person. He said, you know what? You will be the leaders in the world, not by title, but by the way that you live. You will lead culture. Do we lead culture? No. You will lead in the community. Do we lead in the community? No. Governments get bigger because the church gets smaller. We decide to do positions because the people of God won't serve in their giftedness. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to say, hey, wake up. You've been lacking something. Like Dennis was saying, uh, Father's Day is the least attended Sunday in the United States of America. The least attended church. Well... I don't think that our fathers are struggling as fathers because they're, they're like just terrible people. I think we're afraid. I think we're afraid of failure financially. I think we're afraid of failure spiritually. I think we're afraid of failure in multiple ways. And that failure freezes us so we do nothing. We don't open our Bibles with our families because we're afraid of failing. 
We don't really sing out and worship because we're afraid that if we do that, people may see and they'll see our failure. You know, our fathers should be the greatest and deepest worshipers, the most hungry for the word of God because of our failure, not in spite of it. It should be because of our failure that we're hungry to see God. If we'll look back through that passage, I'm going to talk about just leadership. And if, you got, if you're taking notes, write this line right. I will lead by. Now, it's not the idea of being in a position of leadership, but by the, the way that in which you live out that leadership. Because leading, being a leader, is not about a position. It's about what you do. So I want to talk about this passage and how Paul gives us clear direction on how to lead our families. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a father. Well, it wasn't until about nine years ago that I was, but I felt I have fathered many in the kingdom of God. Maybe you're not even married. Whether it's a Mother's Day sermon, a marriage sermon, a Father's Day sermon, if you ever check out, then you're missing what God has for you. Because even though Scripture teaches specifically on some things, the application is still a part of the heart. So everyone in this room should have a leadership, a fatherhood type of mentality when it comes to spiritual growth and change in our world. So Paul addresses that, and the first thing he talks about is, I will lead by becoming a gospel parent. I put the word parent because some of you, if I would have put father, you would have been like, oh, I'm a girl, so I'm peace out on this point. No. It, all of us should step in that role of being a parent spiritually. Do you know that this is more important than your role as a parent biologically? Brian, why don't you say that? Well, because eternity is on the line with the way that you lead your family spiritually. Here's the cool thing. Here's why the pressure's off of you. You say, well, Brian, I don't really, I, I'm, it's not my personality to lead. And if you knew my kids, it's not on you. There's a person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit that lives in you that will empower you to do anything He calls you to do. When you open your Bible and the Bible says, and God commands to do this, guess what? You can do it not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit in you. In fact, if you do it within you, if you do it by you and for you, then you will fail miserably. If you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, you may still fail, but there will be a purpose in that failure. Because some of you feel that pressure. I, I taught my kids about Jesus. I've done that my whole life and they still walked away. I mean, some of you experience where your parents walk away from Jesus. I mean, that's weird. When we say the word father, all kinds of things go through our minds and our hearts. You'd be like, yeah, let's not talk about him. Or you might think, man, I, I'm doing terrible as a father. I'm struggling as a father. Well, you got to become a gospel parent. Paul said this. He says, I'm not writing this to you to shame, but, you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now, these weren't Paul's biological children, but this is how close the family of God was, the church was. Could you say that about celebration, if you call celebration home? Do you, would you use this type of language? Not that we get all creepy and I walk up to somebody younger than me and say, hello, son. No, I don't, I, we're not talking about that. But we see that there's this family element to the, 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 the people of God in the church. 
In verse 15 he says, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the what? Through the gospel. What is the gospel? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're checking church out and maybe you grew up in the Bible. But let me explain the gospel to you. The gospel is this. God came down on this earth and died for mankind because of their sin. What is sin? Sin, you know what it is. It's missing God's standard of perfection. You have missed the mark. You are a what? Sinner. You have fallen short. What that means is all for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of sin, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. What does that mean? Everybody dies physically, but everybody will also die eternally in a place called hell, separated forever. That is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Well, Brian, that doesn't sound like good news. Well, I'm not done yet. Well, not only are you separated for eternity because of your sin, but God knew that. And the payment for your sin was perfect bloodshed. You could not do that. So God did what you could not do. What did He do? Well, He lived a life you could not live. And then He died a death you could not die. And He shed His blood on the cross. And He died. And for three days, and on the third day, He rose again and overcame death. You couldn't do that either. And guess what? The sin of the world has been forgiven because of the cross. That's the good news. Here's the other part of the bad news. The bad news is most people think that they get that and they receive that salvation based on their church attendance or what they say they believe about God. But the Bible says the demons believe and shudder. There's all kinds of analogies preachers use. You can't stand in a garage, that doesn't make you a car, and you can't sit in a church and makes you a Christian. God has to come in and change your heart through you repenting of changing and confessing your sin to God. And then He becomes the boss, the leader of your life. And because of His leadership in your life, all of a sudden you become a different type of leader in the lives of everyone around you and especially in your family and the church. This has to be evident. Leadership is something that we strive to so we can get more zeros in our bank account. Well, it needs to have another number up front. Some of you are like, yeah, I got all kinds of zeros. Why were you so afraid to lead? I mean, where's the risk for the gospel anymore? I'm not trying to, like Paul, I'm not trying to shame us. I'm trying to say, hey, let's wake up because the pressure's not on us. Whenever we don't live in obedience to the leadership that God has given us, then we're saying that it's all on us. It's all in our power. See, I've got to become a gospel parent. This is about taking, everybody say, responsibility. That's what being a father is. Do you know, gentlemen, uh, husbands, fathers, you will stand before God on account of your entire family. And you were given account for the responsibility that he gave. Why? Because the, the family, the marriage, the family is the one thing that this world sees as a reflection of Christ and his church. In the same way that Christ took on responsibility for your sin, you will take on responsibility for your family. Now, your family will stand individually for their own sin and give an account for their own personal lives. But God will give, you will give an account on how you led your family. So lead away. It is hard. 
I've been doing youth ministry for 18 years. I know what teenagers are like, and most of yours are a whole lot better than a lot of what I've seen. It's not as bad as you think. And teenagers, your parents are not stupid. You will find that out when you're about 30. You'll be like, my father is a genius. I'm not even going to tell you you're stupid is the problem. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Can I say that word? I did. Here's what ends up happening. We live in a culture where responsibility is pushed. As long as, here's, here's the way we take responsibility. As long as somebody is above you, you have somewhere to, to throw the responsibility off. Well, here's the cool thing. It is God who is at the end of the buck. The buck stops with God, but here's what God does. When you say, hey, God, I don't know what to do with them. They're all yours. He says, okay, awesome. I'm going to put this right back in your hand, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So the second you try to throw responsibility to God, all of a sudden you look, it's back in your hands. Well, I don't want the... Oh, man. Oh. And that's often what we do because we've learned to do that in our jobs. We learn to do that in our home because it's not your... I mean, Adam and Eve did it, didn't they? God said, Adam, what is it you've done? Well, it's the woman you gave me, God. You knew this was going to happen. You're sovereign. You knew when you made her, took her out of my side, and then you knew she was just going to, like, talk. And I'll be quiet, and I was going to, like, just eat. And, of course, she gave it to me, and I ate. It was her fault. And then God went to Eve and said, Eve, what would you do? Well, it was the serpent. It was the circumstances. My husband drives me crazy. You know, and we get to that where we throw away responsibility. Why didn't you do your homework? Well, she didn't tell us till yesterday that we had it. Liar. You know that's not true. You know it's not true. Quit saying that. Why didn't you? Oh, no. Well, that's a lie, too. You know exactly why. I didn't want to, okay? I'm lazy. We throw away responsibilities because we feel the pressure. Well, what does what does a leader, what does a father, what does a leader in a home do? Well, well, as a parent, there's some things that we do. Everybody say love. Everybody say provide. Say protect. Say teach. And then the last one, everybody say discipline. Man, we live in a world where if you discipline your kids, you're going to jail. It's like whatever. You know. I don't understand that. I'm not, I'm not telling you how to discipline. But if you don't discipline, if there are not consequences and direction and guidance for your children, then you are, you are an evil parent. Can I say that? Why? Because you're taking somebody, let's talk biology for a second, with a prefrontal cortex that doesn't fully develop by the age of 26. In that prefrontal cortex is where common sense decision making happens. And you're asking somebody to make a common sense decision without your guidance. I ask teenagers all the time, who do you ask for relationship advice? They go, my friends. <laughs> prefrontal cortex, asking an undeveloped prefrontal cortex, what do you think is a good idea here? Are they cute? Yeah, they're hot? Okay. Because we've thrown away responsibility and we ask a, a, a five-year-old what they want to eat. And then they're, still, they're 14 and they're still eating chicken nuggets that you pulled the ends off of. I'm not kidding. In children's ministry in 6th grade, I had a kid who ate yogurt cheese in the middle of McDonald's french fries. 
That was all he ate. And you know what the doctor told the mom? He'll be fine. What? Man, I'll be eat your food, little boy. And then I had to try to figure out how to in, you know, integrate that into our student ministry and be like, well, you know, he doesn't eat anything but cheese and yogurt in the middle of McDonald's french fries. The kid's like 25 now. I don't know what he eats now, but if he's still eating yogurt and cheese, I'm pretty sure he's still single. Uh, I'm not sure. Ladies, if you meet a 25-year-old that's still eating yogurt and cheese, he needs to stay single. He's not going to lead your family well because your kids are going to be eating chicken nuggets at 25. I'll eat, I like chicken nuggets, by the way. I like steak, too, medium rare. So I will lead by first, becoming a gospel parent. Second, Paul shows us that we need to, by setting an example of following Jesus. Here's the big one that seems like there's a lot of pressure. Man, we feel this, this example of, setting an example of following Jesus. We look at ourselves and we see how flawed we are. I mean, I was sort of thrown into ministry before I knew what was going on. And then all of a sudden, I just felt God doing some things before I started seeing all the insecurities that I have. How sometimes I got a list of six questions that I ask myself before I preach. Question number one is, am I more concerned about what people will think about what I'm getting ready to preach or what God thinks? Last week, I was preaching on generosity right after the message. I went back and reread those. And number one, that, that one hit me big because when you start talking about money in a church, man, it gets all weird. You should have saw your faces last night or last week. Uh, I thought I said some funny stuff last week and nobody laughed. It was almost like Dennis's jokes usually. It's just, I, under, I understood how you felt, Dennis. But I started feeling really insecure about what did people think about that? Did, did I make everybody mad last week? What was the offering? What was the, oh, that, was, that wasn't good. It must have been a terrible message. You know? So you start gauging all that. And I start feeling the pressure. Well, I'm not really a good example of the gospel. You know, one of the greatest examples of the gospel is walking up to people and saying, Hey, I struggle with being an example of the gospel, but that's what I want to be. The second you don't be an example for the gospel because you may fail is when Satan has you exactly where he wants you. There's two people Satan will not mess with. Somebody who's completely lost and a dead Christian. Here's two people he will mess with. Someone getting ready to come to faith and I hope that some of you today. And then somebody on fire for the gospel. Why? Because you're an enemy to him. He's not worried about most people in churches. He's not. Satan's like, <laughs> celebration's gotten comfortable. That's why we got, don't have an air conditioner on today. We don't want you comfortable. Satan wants to make us comfortable, and he doesn't want us to set an example because if we set an example, then people may see that it's okay to fail and get back up because the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times. But a, you know what a righteous man will do? He'll get back up. The second you stay on your face, guess what? The place on your face is a place of shame. And the Bible says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get up. Pick your head up. Go to your kids and say, you know what? Daddy stinks in this area. 
But we're working. Will you pray for me? In fact, will you hold me accountable in this area? Be transparent. And say, hey, dad hasn't opened his Bible and led his family. Would you just, I know, I know y'all aren't about that because I've led terrible. But I'm going to be here at 7 o'clock tonight. And the next night and the next night, I would like for my family to join. I'm responsible for leading my family. And I'm going to be sitting here. I cannot force anybody. But dad would like you here. You may sit there alone, but every day you say, I know you don't want to be there, but I promise you, if you will taste and see that the Lord is good, this would be the greatest thing for your life and for our family. I'm going to be here at 7 and 7 and then at 7. And you set an example of following Jesus. When you're on the phone with your business or your, 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 your co-workers and your children hear you talk, do they hear you being the gospel on the phone? When they see you interact with your neighborhood, let's talk about that. How many of you live in a neighborhood? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me just, uh, I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm trying to be tough. Do, does your children know whether or not your heart is broken for your neighbors to meet Jesus? Or do y'all even care? Because we live in a world where uh, we, we can, I used to live in a house that had a two-car garage. And... The road went parallel, and you could see my house about 400 or 500 yards away off the hill. But when I passed on the parallel road to my house, I could hit the garage door opener, and the door would open up. By the time I got there, I could pull right in and close my garage door. It was perfect for a hermit. I didn't have to wait on my garage door. I could just zoom in and get in the garage and have it down and be like, yeah, I didn't see any of my neighbors Especially that annoying one that keeps blowing grass in my yard or whatever. I don't know. But God put you in your neighborhood not so you could have a home, but so you could have a gospel influence around some people. Some of you live off in the country. How many of you live in the country? Okay, that's totally cool. God gave you, and and I just saw a bunch of those hands go up, and a lot of you use your home for the gospel. If God gave you something, it wasn't so you could build a kingdom here, but so you could build His kingdom in eternity and be a part of it. And we use everything. We talked about that last week. We use our worldly wealth to make friends with unbelievers. So Paul said this. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. In a couple other places, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, dads, moms too, your children are going to imitate you anyways. That's why alcoholic fathers usually have alcoholic children. That's why parents who can't figure out how to fight fairly and fight godly because there are going to be arguments and disruptions in your home, that's why you see their children end up the same way. That's why financial stewardship is important and your children need to hear and see how you handle your finances. Why? Because they will handle and imitate you. So why not give God the shot? Why not put it all in His hands and open up your Bible and say, I'm going to live this out and trust you with that. And then when you mess up, then you get to show in Scripture how... The Bible says repentance is the the pathway to restoration. And your children get to see that. 
They get to see how you're restored constantly in your relationship with God and how you give that opportunity to everybody in your life. Relationships are tough. Leading is tough. And showing that leadership, that pressure is off of you. Well, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, guys, is, is Ephesians 5.25. At least it's scary for me. Paul said this to the church in Ephesus. He says, husband, love your wives. Got it. Man, I love that woman for multiple reasons. She's smoking hot. She's absolutely an amazing mother. She's an amazing wife. There's not a thing about her that I don't love, even, even sometimes when she's fussing at me. I love that because it keeps me in check. I do not love it in the moment. Let's just be honest. going to be transparent, honey. Because you were going to tell people anyways. He does not love that about me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, we're supposed to lead by example in loving our wives outside of ourselves by giving our lives to submission to God, to the death of ourself in service to our family, to our community, and to the world. Now, wives, we're, you can continue to read on. It says, wives, submit to your husband and respect your husband, and it says that. So we all have a responsibility in leading somebody, and you are leading. We're all leading somebody somewhere to something. So I will lead by becoming a gospel parent, by setting an example of following Jesus, and number three, by developing and sending out followers. Followers. 